At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Well, hello again. I know it's been a difficult week for many of us, a little bit of a different week for those of us who live in White Lake and in the area, and it is good to see you here today as we gather for worship to sing the praises of Jesus, who is, in fact, worthy of that name. I want to begin this morning by stating something that I may have mentioned a time or two. I like books. If you guys come to my office, what you'll find is there's one wall that is kind of a full long bookcase all along one wall, and then it starts kind of down the second wall. I want you to know I didn't build that. It was there before I got here because that's kind of what pastors do. We have a lot of books. There's books here, there's books there, there's books over here, there's books everywhere. It kind of comes with the job. Now the question is, how many of you have an affinity for books? Let me see by show of hands. See, I want you to know my penchant for books drives me to do something that sometimes kind of rubs my kids the wrong way. But when we go to the west side of the state, there is this wonderful little place called Baker Bookhouse. It's in Grand Rapids. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it is a small slice of heaven, okay? Because what you find when you go to Baker Bookhouse is there is this place at the beginning of the store, that's where all the new titles are, and so you can get the latest books right there on the front of the store. Then as you work your way back, you'll get into some of the older titles, some titles that are on clearance. But the best part is still further back. In the warehouse, back behind this store, is this massive area where there are hundreds and thousands of used Christian books. It's a fantastic place to spend an afternoon. Just pulling them down, glancing through, reading a little bit. Great place to spend an afternoon. Now, the question is, what's with the fascination with books? I mean, really, what is the big deal with reading in general? There's sort of this cultural idea that comes with people who read books. Well, they are... And then you can kind of fill in the blank. I want you to know that a study conducted in 2018 revealed that books actually help young people learn better. Wait for it, even if they don't read them. Wrap your mind around that for a second. Even if they don't read them, they make kids smarter. Here's what the study specifically says. Having more books growing up, even if you don't necessarily read more books improves educational outcomes just by having books. I do want you to know there's a bookstore right out there and uh, you can prep your kids for a great future if you would like to. But the reality is there is this kind of cultural assumption that if we read, we understand, we are smart, we're intellectual, 
And the truth is, reading exposes us to new ideas and to new thoughts, doesn't it? But it also exposes us to the thoughts and the ideas of dead guys. Guys who wrote something really significant 300, 400 years ago. We can learn from them as well. You see, reading challenges us to open our minds to new ideas and to wrestle with long-standing truths. And it's very core. What reading does is it challenges you and I to think. Challenges us to think, and that is a very good thing. And yet... And yet, as much as I like reading, as much as I appreciate a good book, as much as I like knowledge and learning, it does force us to ask and wrestle with a real question. And I mean every single person here today must engage with this question. If we like reading and if we like knowledge, is our hope, is our success, is our joy found in knowledge? Let me ask that again. Is our hope, is our joy, is our success wrapped up in how much we know? Church, that's the question that the biblical author of the book of Ecclesiastes asks. And we're going to turn there in just a moment and we're going to open up that piece of wisdom literature. But before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, you have invited us here today to meet with you. To open your word, God, because we acknowledge that your word is truth and it guides our very lives. But God, we also know that we're a broken people. We also know that many of us kind of stumbled in here today because we had such a brutal week. It was really hard in our personal lives. It was really hard and with our property, with what we experienced with the storm. It was really hard on the job. And so we need to hear from you today. We need your spirit to speak through the words of your scripture to convict, to encourage, to challenge, to grow us. So God, give us eyes to see the truth of your word. God, we humbly ask for ears to hear this truth and then humble hearts to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, guys, we are beginning a new sermon series. It is called Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth in a World of Truths. Now, that very idea points to the reality of what is happening in our culture. Many people are are reading things and grabbing a hold of ideas or ideologies, and they're placing these high, huge expectations on them. Because what happens is is they offer this mirage of something awesome and amazing. And yet they deliver far less. Now what we're going to be doing today is in fact a little bit different than what we normally do. Because most of us were not here last week. Or I should say all of us were not here last week. But many of us may have missed the service and missed the beginning. And the book we're looking at in the Old Testament is Ecclesiastes. And it's not one of those books that you sort of jump into in the middle. It's not one of those books you kind of start halfway in and kind of pick it up. It's important for us to look and to know and to understand where in the world the author is going. And so 
I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you have those on your mobile device. We're going to be beginning at Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, and we're just going to read those first nine verses and kind of capturing what we missed in terms of the setup from last week. Because what we looked at last week will impact and will influence what we look at today. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Here are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? There's a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Intriguing words to begin a writing. Now, most Bible scholars will tell us that these are the words of Solomon, the wealthy and the wise king of Israel. But the king's responses are really a little strange, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest with, with each other. That's a little bit of an odd way to begin a text. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he says in verse 2. Then he gets to verse 4 and he says, a generation comes and a generation goes. He's kind of opening his heart for us to see and he's kind of has this emotional wrestling, this intellectual struggle and there's this deep sense of meaningless as he begins his writing. He says, all is vanity. Let me paraphrase for us. Nothing has meaning. It's all vapor. It's all smoke and mirrors. Not exactly the kind of encouraging, uplifting words that you want to see when you open up a reading, isn't it? You know, if I grab a book like that and it starts out like that, I kind of do this. Okay, I think we're done. I'm going to move on. I'm going to spend my time on something else. It seems a bit dark. It seems a bit negative. So what are we to make of the preacher's perspective as he begins this writing? You see, Ecclesiastes is actually a writing that helps God's people make sense of life in our world. I want to say that one more time. It is a writing that helps God's people make sense of life in our world, even when the Almighty's ways seem confusing. I can think of few things that are more relevant than that today in our world. When things around us seem to be spinning and turning, Ecclesiastes gives God's people a foundation in the face of life's challenges. 
And that's why he begins at somewhat of a dark place. That's why he begins at a place that is not necessarily a mountaintop because what he's communicating to us is our journeys have mountaintops. There are times where we celebrate, but there are also valleys, deep, dark valleys, and sometimes they go on far longer than we desire. You know, at the beginning of summer, we spent some time in the Old Testament book of Lamentations. We looked at the importance of lamenting our situation before a holy and righteous God. And church, there are times for us to do that. But there are also times for us to do what we just did a few moments ago, to sing God's praises, to celebrate who he is. So that's why this is relevant for us today. When we turn to Ecclesiastes, because our world seems a little upside down. If you haven't read the newspaper lately or gone to your favorite website or turned on the news, things seem a little crazy right now. This, I believe, will give us a solid foundation from which to move forward on our journey. So let's look at our our text today. We're going to go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Ecclesiastes 1 12 through 18. Here's what the preacher continues in his writing. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. For I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom. I'm surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had a great experience of wisdom and of knowledge. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The preacher acknowledges that he has started his search with the rigorous pursuit of knowledge, of the intellect. That's where he has begun his journey. And he says he has sought to use all of his intellectual faculties. He's done the thinking. He's done the understanding at the heart level. He's done the research. He's done the internalizing. He's done the organizing. He's put it all together. That's where he examines the world and the successes of life. And you might say, well, wait a second. I mean, really, how deep was the search? He explains in verse 14. He's examined everything that is done under the sun. All of it. How disappointing was his conclusion? Behold, all is vanity. It's a striving after wind. Wow. It's honest, isn't it? Seems a bit depressing. 
And yet in the lack of fulfillment from that very pursuit, what we find is the first of true truths that should guide us on our faith journey. And the first one is this, knowledge leads to more questions. Knowledge actually leads to more questions. Church, I want you to know that this is, this is my experience. Many years ago, I was working in Grand Rapids. I've shared the story with you. Uh, Bonnie was pregnant with our first child, our son Reed, and we sensed the call of God to pastoral ministry, so moved to Orlando to begin my seminary education. Now, I want you to know when I got there, I've told you the story of summer Greek and all that stuff, but I, what I want you to know is that first semester, something happened that I did not anticipate. You see, what I anticipated when I went to seminary was that I would just sit under the, the wise counsel of professors and they would communicate all about church history and they would communicate all there's to know about theology and they would tell me how to study the scriptures and then I would learn how to preach and to counsel and I would learn how to be a pastor. Man, was I naive. <laughs> you see, my first semester was like theological boot camp. What you do is you go and you sit under these brilliant men who've spent their lives investing in just one small portion of the things that I mentioned, church history or theology or the scriptures. They've spent their entire lives looking at one small snapshot. And I'm some arrogant young guy who says, well, I'm going to go and just sit under you and soak it all in. But I'm not alone. That's what happens. That's what happens to everybody because by design, what seminary does in the first semester is typically like undo all the things you think you know. You come and you think you know this and they're going to say, no, 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 no. Let's bring it all down and then let's start the rebuild after. And that's why it's a little bit like boot camp. They have to break you before they can start to build that foundation. And so little by little, I sit under these brilliant scholars who've studied just small segments of the word and they know that and they teach from that. And then I sit under the guys who have spent their entire life studying the history of the movement of God and of the church. And slowly by slowly, I gain more knowledge and understanding and I read more and I study more and I'm challenged to do that. And yet the more that I was exposed to the deeper and deeper things of God, do you know what happened? I recognized how little I actually know. That's what happens when we dig in deeply to knowledge. We're overwhelmed by it. And the fact of the matter is, you don't have to go to seminary to experience what I was just talking about. Most of us right now could do the exact same thing by pulling out our phone. Right now, we have access to any and all information. It's click away. In a moment, you can find out anything you need to know about the latest news updates. You can find out the latest sports scores. You can find out the latest health information. You can find out what's playing at the movie theater. You can find all of that information in the palm of your hand in a click or a couple clicks. But here's the question. 
while we have access to all that information, are we any smarter? So you see, all the information that we grab a hold of, and there is a ton of information out there, it simply reveals how much we don't yet know. It is a chasing after the wind. And so when man seeks to find meaning and purpose in knowledge and knowledge alone, that's what the writer is speaking of. That's what the preacher is communicating. It is a striving after wind. Now I also want to be very clear about something. I do not want you to walk away from this message thinking, oh, it's not important that I read. It is very important that you read. As your pastor, it is my hope that you would regularly and consistently be reading God's word, that you would regularly and consistently be meditating on God's word. That's why we build the ministries we do at our church. Our kids' ministry focuses on God's word. Our student ministry focuses on God's word. When you're in a life group as an adult, you're going to focus on God's word. When we send out our daily text messages, what is that? It is a way and it is a means for you to be growing in your knowledge of God and of his word. You see, those are good things. And I want you to encourage to not only read God's word, but read rich theological books that increase your knowledge of God and of his character. But what I don't want you to do is to walk away thinking that that is the true source of meaning. I can rest in my knowledge. I know a whole lot of stuff. Great. There's a whole lot more you don't know. But we should be challenged to know more and more about our God. But this leaves us with a couple important questions. Where can we turn with all of this? Where are we to go if you would say, well, wow, if I just dig in, I, just get, I, I get exposed to more and more and more. That is true, but where are we to go? Rather than leaving you discouraged, rather than leaving you a bit bewildered, Wondering why you came to church today, I want to encourage us to dig into a second reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to fast forward to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 18. The preacher writes, When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. And then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. You see, the preacher had looked for meaning and success in his search for wisdom. That was his approach. He sought to find purpose and meaning and success. And what does that text tell us? It left him utterly exhausted. He's absolutely wiped out. It says, neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. His mind was racing with all the questions. He couldn't stop thinking. He couldn't turn off his thoughts. You guys ever feel that way? You put your head on the pillow and there's a million things going on in your head. 
That's what's happening here. Until something changed. Until something changed, something powerful happened, and you see it in verse 17. It says, then I saw all the work of God. In that moment, his eyes got a glimpse of God's work. His eyes got a glimpse of God's ways. His eyes caught a glimpse of God's wisdom. And everything changed. It was different. Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman describes what happens in that moment when you and I engage and we're kind of confused with the wisdom of God and yet we do the hard work, we read, we look at it. Here's what he says. He says, in spite of hard labor, no one may figure out what God is up to in the universe. Church, that highlights the second truth today that should guide our lives. God has wisdom beyond our understanding. God has wisdom beyond what you and I can understand. So when you and I look to God and we seek to understand his wisdom, let's be honest, we oftentimes are left wanting. We oftentimes are left wondering. We're curious. We have questions. I don't understand why that happened. And it's in those moments that we find some hope. By the truth that I just mentioned, and that truth is explained a little bit in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Hmm. So clear in that text is the fact that we are the created. He is the creator. God's ways are not your ways. God's ways are not my ways. God's ways are supreme. Nowhere in Scripture is that displayed more clearly than in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Here's what he writes. Chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, God turns things upside down. He changes the narrative. Paul says that the Jews, where they were the people that would say, we want to see signs, we want to see wonders. It needs to be visible for us. The Greeks would argue and and enter into discussion about wisdom and ideas and thoughts. But God's people revealed that life is found in death. It's the opposite. It's upside down. It's turned around. It's a 180. Life is found in death. But not just any death. but death on a brutal, humiliating cross. Not just any person, but by the wisest human being who ever lived, Jesus. And that's God's plan 
That is God's plan for sinful men and women like you and me to be redeemed. And the reality is that confounds the world. That idea confounds the world. You see, Jesus the Christ surrendered his perfect life for your sinful one. Jesus took our rightful place on the cross on a punishment that you and I deserve and he took the penalty of our sin. Jesus became our substitute. He became your substitute and mine on the cross and friends, that is the gospel. And that's wonderful, wonderful news. Because God in his sovereign wisdom, in his sovereign authority, he created a way for you and for me to be forgiven. He created a way for you and for me to be redeemed. He created a way for you and me to have life. And this life is only experienced when we acknowledge with our mind that Jesus is the Christ and then believe in our heart that Jesus died to save you from your sin. 19th century theologian by the name of Charles Hodge, I think he says it best. He said the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it. And yet it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. Simple, yet profound. This is why the believer doesn't need to have an answer to every question. What we need is faith in the one who does. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 